Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. This is Jonathan Edwards. Pureandsimplebible.com is the place you are at, and I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for joining me on another conversation, this time with Brother Jeremy Hickel from down in the Waco, Texas area. Jeremy brought a Bible study called Redeeming the Time, and uh, always a useful study. It's going to be one of those where we slow down and we kind of take stock of ourselves and what we need to recenter around the Lord. So I encourage you, friend, as you listen to this episode with me, it's going to be a two-part series. I encourage you to slow down and take some time. Let's consider what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians about redeeming the time. Let's jump into it, shall we? Well, as is my custom, I like to give my guest an opportunity to introduce themselves. So, Jeremy, I know you. I feel like I've known you for, I, I don't know, uh, 12, 15 years longer. That's, that's about right. 12 or 15. Yeah. How long, how long have you been married? Uh, we got married in 2010, Cassie and I did. So okay. we've been married almost 14 years. So, so we're in the right ballpark, I think. Okay. We're in the ballpark. So you you just said, Cassie, why don't you tell me about where you're from, who your people are? That way, if somebody who's listening to this didn't know you, um, that they could kind of get to know you in a minute or two. Sure. Yeah. Well, my name is Jeremy Hickel. Uh, I go to the Johnson Drive Church of Christ in McGregor, Texas. I have been a member there since wow, 2007. So I guess I'm going on 17 years this year. I met my wife, Cassie, who I mentioned earlier. Uh, when I was going to community college here in Waco, Texas, and uh, we hit it off. She introduced me to uh, the church. She took me one, I guess it was a couple of months after we after we first started dating, invited me to come to church, and I got to hear Wayne McCamey speak for the first time. Oh, and, and that was that was so different than any other experience that I'd ever had before. The amount of scripture and the amount of knowledge that he throughout was just so amazing and immediately made me curious. And I had this hunger for the word that, you know, there was this piece that had been missing in my life. And so we started studying. And a few months later, I went to the Tyler Church camp meeting in Texas and obeyed the gospel and uh, have been a member ever since. I've always <laughs> described myself as a, a remedial student. I came to the word, you know, when I was probably just, just after I'd turned 21. Uh, and so Cassie was very patient and wonderful with me to help me grow and to have good good conversations with me and to answer my questions. And here we are now. We've been married, I guess, almost 14 years, coming up in July. Have yeah. three kids. Yeah, tell me about your kids. Things are, things are wonderful. Yeah, so we have Conrad. He's seven years old. Or, well, he'll be seven in April. He's doing Taekwondo. He's <laughs> a purple belt right now. So that's oh, a man. lot of fun to watch out watch and and listen to him and i just love the discipline and the assertiveness that it teaches him and um he's how to control his body although he did knee me when we were wrestling the other night and so i do have some bruised ribs kudos to him i did not know a six-year-old almost seven could launch themselves across the living room like that but they can uh i have a daughter chloe she is three she'll be four next month and she wants to join taekwondo when she turns four so we have a fun uh, fun plan for her to be able to to do that as well and then we have archer who was just born 
last April. So he's a little over nine months and that's yep. an adventure as well, but it's, it's great. We've been so blessed and the kids are so much fun and they force you to, they force you to look at life through young eyes, which is nice to, you know, have more curiosity than we were accustomed to having before. Just right. a wonderful adventure. So yeah, that's me. That's my people. We're a, a family of five and uh, just, you know, get, getting by, trying to do the best we can to be, living to the be dream. light and salt, living the dream. There you go. There you go. I like that being light and salt. Now um, to give our listeners some context, maybe about three months ago, I got a text message from somebody uh, who happens to attend your congregation. And this brother said, Hey, you need to have Jeremy as a guest on your podcast with this sermon. I just heard him preach called redeeming the time. So, uh, uh, maybe fast forward a week or two. And I texted you and said, Hey, I heard you got this sermon called redeeming the time. Let's do it. And then we proceeded to spend three months, uh, <laughs> not being able to redeem the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that irony has not been lost on me <laughs> right i think one time you had a sick kid and another That's time right. i had something that came up but here we are we're finally able to record i'm thankful for you and i guess i want to the, as, as an opening question just give you the chance to say hey what was the motivation for this study what you know, was going on either in your head or, or in the context of your life that made you feel like I need to learn more about Ephesians chapter five and this phrase redeeming the time. Yeah, ab- absolutely. You know, I think, I th- and you can probably relate to me that sometimes we, modern life can be a bit overwhelming. <laughs> modern life can seem very fast paced. And I was in the place where, again, Cassie and I were expecting our third child. So we'd had two young children. There was some uncertainty there and maybe a little bit of fear in the future about what is life going to look like because it feels busy busy now. I was going through kind of a role transition at work too. Um, you know, I've been I've been with my company for 16 years, which is wonderful and longevity, but and I've been in the position I've been at for probably about 5 years and then last year they said, you know, we'd like you to focus on something else and focus, you know, try to expand and grow in another area. And that seemed daunting. And so work was starting to, to stack up and things were getting busy. We had change on the horizon in my home life. It didn't know how, didn't know how three kids would really, really turn out. And then yeah. uh, also, you know, in, in trying to serve the Lord and trying to be the best Christian that I could be and make sure that my teaching was edifying and effective and, and trying to make sure that, uh, you know, when I got into the pulpit, I was using the time wisely because, you know, as you mentioned before, uh, we're going to receive a stricter judgment. And so you really want to do do your part to edify the congregation and really put your best effort into that. And so, you know, all of those things were conspiring together to make me pretty nervous and um, kind of anxious about the future. And so, you know, I looked at, did, did what I think a lot of people do. I looked at, let's go to Amazon. Let's start looking at <laughs> books for time management. I've gone through some few and I looked through a few and, you know, uh, one of them had mentioned redeeming, redeeming the time. And so I, I thought, you know, man, that's, that's great. And even, even in it, the author had talked a little bit about looking to Jesus um, in that, that perspective. And I thought, oh man, that's a, 
that's a great idea. Jesus is the one we should be looking at. And yeah. so what is ta- what is Paul talking about here to the Ephesians? What does redeeming the time mean? And what do I need to get out of this? Because oh, there's yeah. obviously something that I've missed. You know, there's yeah. there's a lot in, in the scriptures about not being anxious, you know, pray always, don't be anxious and mention that later. And so, yeah, it, that that's what really led me to it. Well, I'm going to go ahead and leave. You're asking yourself the questions. You're going to answer the questions. So you got it from here. I'll just head out. Uh, <laughs> no, no I'm, I'm glad to hear what was going on in your mind. And uh, I'm glad that you're having some similar struggles. I remember whenever we went from one kid to two kids to three kids and just yeah. the different, the change in dynamic. There's a comedian named Jim Gaffigan, and and I maybe should clarify, I've not seen all his stuff, so I don't know a whole lot about him, but I saw a YouTube clip where he was talking about what it was like to to have a bunch of kids and then have another kid. And he said, imagine you're you're drowning in the lake, and then someone says, hey, here's a baby. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It made me laugh because I was like, it's kind of true. Whenever you go to, when you're, where you're outnumbered, um, oh, absolutely. It comes to the point where you're just like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm being washed over with the anxiety of life. But oh, anyway, absolutely. <laughs> um, let me, let me, uh, can I read the scripture, Ephesians oh, 5? And absolutely, then please. Ask you a question about it? Yes, absolutely. Uh, see then that you walk circumspectly. This is Ephesians 5.15, by the way. Not as fools, but as wise redeeming the time because the days are evil. Now, you kind of already asked this question as you were telling me, you know, you were ruminating over uh, all the needs of it. But I'm trying to put myself into the shoes of somebody who, who's maybe listening to the Bible or reading it for the first time. And when, when you look at words, you know, sometimes religious words or Bible words, we just kind of say them, you know, like we yeah. use them, but but they, they actually mean something, even though we kind of just use them casually. And I'm thinking about the word redeem. So here we are, and it's the title of your study, too, so I think it's a helpful question for people who've not thought about it. In the phrase, redeem the time, what does redeem mean? Well, the word redeem, you know, as you said, not too familiar with that phrase these days. It's not part of our common vernacular. But the word redeem means to buy back for oneself or to lay hold of for one's use. And, you know, I love the sound. It's so poetic to, to read the text as redeem the time makes for a good lesson title. Uh, but I really like how the English standard version translates this. And instead of saying redeeming the time, it translates Paul's words here as to make the best use of time. Mm-hmm. So in other words, we're really to be good stewards of our time. Uh, we're to be good stewards of the time that we have in a day. We've got you know, you and I, each of us, we wake up this morning, we go to bed tonight, uh, we live our lives, we have separate lives, but both of us have one thing in common, at least, uh, hopefully more than that, but both of us at least have one thing in common, and that's that we have 24 hours in a day, uh-huh. right? And so uh-huh. we we can't gain more time, uh, but we can use what we have more effectively. Yeah. And so that's what Paul's telling the Ephesians here. He's saying, you use your time well. And then he tells them why. Mm. He says, because the enemy is constantly Mm. at work. He says the days are evil. And so as Christians, you know, our lives should serve to counteract that darkness that's in the world. And and that's what he's really trying to bring out of us, I think. Well, you mentioned something earlier. Uh, It was kind of in passing. 
but you were just talking about how you and your people, you're just trying to be salt and light, salt and light. And I'm noticing that's a, a, a scripture that you have in your notes, kind of in this section. What is Matthew 5.16 about being salt and light? How do you fit that into a redeem the time mindset? Right. Yeah. So there in Matthew 5 and verse 16, you know, Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. And so as Christians, the way that we live before others, the way that we live in our communities, or maybe if we go to school or uh, when we go to go to work or even at the grocery store, store on the playground with, you know, other kids when our kids are playing, uh, our light should be shining. And so that means the way that we live, the way that we talk, the way that we parent, the way that we work, the way that we live out our relationships, all of that should shine as a beacon in a dark place, right? Paul said that we were like stars in a dark and dying world. I think he wrote that to the Philippians. And so our lives are supposed to help point the way to God. You know, people should see the happiness, the joy, the contentment, the peace that we have there. And we should be effective in doing that. So we shouldn't fritter away our hours. We shouldn't fritter away our days, but we need to use our time effectively to be a light into the world. Right. Now, let me maybe speak for the person who's listening and uh, they're already starting to get a little bit anxious <laughs> because maybe they're hearing these really nice thoughts about being salt and light, redeeming the time, and maybe they're feeling uh, perhaps it's overwhelmed. Uh, perhaps there's other emotions that are going on with them. Uh, they're ready to turn the channel or maybe find another podcast, so to speak. And uh, we want to get them to not do that. However, we, we also want to acknowledge that we're going up against a, a, a culture that's a hustle culture. And this Absolutely. hustle culture that we're in, um, people many times don't have very good boundaries, personal boundaries with saying no to things and they'll just pile it on or maybe they they want they have this uh that that very fake american dream mindset where they Absolutely. they're, they're just going to try to get it all in and you know live their best life they have that fear of missing out i mean, you have some statistics we were talking about this before the recording about whether or not we ought to use them but i feel like this would be a good time to just remind people about the the false idol of hustle culture and kind of what it creates in your heart. Can you take a few minutes and tell us about that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and it's so true, right? I mean, the culture throws so many things at us and it promises so many things and then and then it can't deliver. And so absolutely, I think we all we all deal with that feeling of anxiety to some degree, but but overwhelm is a very real thing. And it's something that's talked about, you know in the news and magazines and other media outlets. And, you know, when I was preparing for this lesson, I've looked up just some different stats. I like to go out and uh, like to look at Gallup polls and other things like that, just to get an idea of what, what people are thinking, what people are feeling. And if, and if I'm in the, you know, in the majority or the minority on those things, well, there was, there was a 2018 Gallup poll that found that over half of Americans reported having a high stress level when they were asked if they have had a lot of stress the day before. So if I came up to you tonight and said, hey, Jonathan, good to see you. Hey, how stressed were you yesterday? Mm. 
of half of Americans, you know, one out of every two people is going to say, yeah, I was very stressed yesterday. I had high stress the day before. There's a 2020 study that found that more than 60 Americans uh, rarely feel rested or energized after a night of sleep. And so that, that just blows my mind to think that, you know, we work, we we try to raise our kids, we go to work, we, you know, attend the worship services, we're trying to be the best Christians that could be, and then we go lay down and try to get some rest. And 60% of people are waking up, they feel like they, they haven't really rested at all. And so they're feeling burnt out, they're feeling wearied. Another study, you know, just to look at the workplace, found that 62% of employees feel high levels of stress with extreme fatigue or feelings of things being out of control. Wow. And that's mind boggling to think that people are living and they're existing in this. So, yeah, I think I think all of us can agree modern modern life's fast paced. It's overwhelming. You know, we get the phone calls, we get the emails, we get the text notifications, we uh, get dinged on our phone. And maybe it's you know, a lot of us have our emails linked to our phones from work. And so we're never really off. Yeah. And, you know, then you've got the personal commitments that that can pile on. If you, if you have kids, you know, juggling their schedule can be important. And it's, you know, if, if you haven't seen somebody in a long time and you go up to them and you ask, oh, hey, you know, hi, Frank, how you doing? Uh, in the supermarket or something, uh, it's not uncommon to hear them look at you. And, you know, sometimes you hear a sigh before it. We've been there, <laughs> and I've done this. You hear, oh, man, we've been busy. Yeah. It's like almost like a status symbol right. in our culture today. And so, right. I just had a, I just had a, a conversation with Brett Hickey last week, and I don't know how these are going to air. So it could be that they're back to back, and I say sure. the exact same thing. So I'll summarize it a lot quicker than I said it with him. Uh, when we lived abroad, Cambodia's culture is way slower than ours. Mm -hmm it's really hot there. And so they slow down in the afternoon. I'm not saying that it's like the, the business is closed, but they definitely, it's, it's just from two to five is a lot slower of a time. And when we moved back to the States, that hustle culture felt so foreign to me. I was really stressed because I felt like I couldn't keep up with America. Yeah. And uh, so anyway, it's, it was interesting. I, I got to kind of be an outsider of our own culture for a while until I got used to it. And then now here I am hustling all over again. <laughs> but um, you said something a couple minutes ago, and I want to use it to springboard into my next question. And that was that our, our culture promises something, but it can't deliver. And I liked that because it's absolutely right. I feel like our pop culture is telling us, here's all the ways to make life more convenient. Here's all the ways to have a satisfying experience. Here's all the way. And yet uh, the, these things never come true. If I were to simply be a materialistic, humanistic, atheistic, you know, person that's wanting to seize the most out of life, I, it always seems like I'm coming up short. I'm always coming up unsatisfied. And so my question to you uh, as a Christian you know, we're looking to Christ, right, as our example of, of redeeming right. the time. What are, what are we learning from Jesus that's different from what we see in pop culture? Oh, man, what a great question. Yeah, well, Jesus was with the Father before creation. Jesus is eternal. He was there in the beginning. 
Scripture tells us that all things were created through him. And so, you know, that that includes night and day and seasons. It includes everything that we use to measure time. And so, you know, you were talking a moment ago about coming back from Cambodia and then being an outsider on our own culture. And Jesus really had that same experience, right? When he became a man. I've never thought about it that way, that he was like a, a foreigner who, who had to experience the culture clash. Oh my goodness, Jeremy, that's such a, a beautiful connection that maybe I've not thought about before. I need to process it. Keep going while I sit here and just like have my mind blown. Absolutely. Well, you know, that's, that's completely the word doing that. <laughs> so yeah, you know, Jesus, in the same way that you were, you were a foreigner to, to American culture when you came back, he was when he put on flesh, right? John 1 and verse 14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. And so you think about this, Jesus was there in eternity. He was before the beginning. There's no beginning. There's no end. He's outside the confines of time. And then he puts on flesh. And in doing that, what is he doing? He's stepping into time. And so Jesus had to put on flesh. He existed just like you and I existed. Um, He had 24 hours in a day, and he was aware of it, too. You look at John 9 and verse 4. Jesus says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Right? There's some urgency there. He continues. He says, the night is coming when no one can work. And so Jesus felt and understood the constraints that time puts on all of us. Mm-hmm. And he had a bigger agenda. He had a bigger job than any of us. You know, I, I like to think that what I do is important on a day-to-day basis. And it is, you know, in, in my realm. But what Jesus had to accomplish was far and away much bigger than anything I'll be responsible oh, for. Certainly. So he was extremely busy. And he, you look at his life, he had many distractions. He had a lot of interruptions. He had a lot of things pulling at his attention. And I think Jesus really experienced the ancient, ancient equivalent of what we do today. You know, like think about him going about his daily job. And some of it's pretty pretty humorous, right? He's in a house teaching somewhere. And, you know, suddenly... These guys start digging through the roof and lower someone down. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't relate to that. I've never had anyone bust through the wall of my office to get to me <laughs> and try to say there's something so urgent. I have to come through the wall to tell you this. So right. Jesus faced distractions. And I think if he were alive today, right, he would exist in our culture. He would get more emails, more text messages, more phone calls than any of us. And so the question naturally comes to me is, how did he accomplish his mission? How did he redeem his time? And that's really what this study is attempting to get at here. Yeah. You know, the, I was a a scripture that came to my mind and it always, it always pleases me. So listener, whenever you're hearing this, we, this wasn't forced. I'm promised we're not like (laughs) we haven't conspired, but I love when the scriptures that I'm just reading in my uh, Bible reading coincide with what we talk about in a podcast episode. I, my family and I were going through the New Testament together, two chapters a day, right? So I've, I've challenged my kids. It's, it's a lot of fun when they get this age, by the way. So I'm a few years ahead of, of you as a dad. My kids are 
just about 14 and 12 and, and then 10. And so um, I've been waiting, you know, for this time in life when we can do some serious Bible study together. So we're going through two chapters in the New Testament today. And we, we just started mm -hmm. Mark. And one of the things that you learn right off the bat in the Gospel of Mark is that Jesus would get away from it all. Absolutely. Uh, he does it a couple of times in the Gospel of Mark, Mark 1 and then in Mark 6. Yeah. And so when I was looking at your notes, I'm kind of spoiling the point. Um, but this big this big concept of how do we redeem the time? Well, we make time for God. And your very first scripture is Mark chapter 1 about <laughs> Jesus getting away. It's a really uh, interesting point. So if it's okay with you, I was curious if, if I could expand on the Mark 1 point and then you can keep going with uh, the make time for God. Oh, absolutely. Yes, please. Okay. So Mark 1 is such a great, such a great chapter, such a yeah, great verse. Yeah. So you've got Jesus um, and, and he spends some time healing a lot of people. Right. Like if, so this, the, the scripture, for those who are listening, the scripture that, that you reference in your study is Mark 1, verse 35. And it says, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. There he, there he prayed. I almost said played. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, but before that scripture, he's in um, a, a location where it's Simon Peter's mother-in-law. Yep. And is it Capernaum? It's Capernaum. Okay. So he's in Capernaum. He's healing a bunch of people. Everybody's wanting to get to him. The, it Absolutely. says in verse 33, the whole city's gathered at the door. Mm -hmm. So the scene that I see is, is like chaos, you know? And he's just healing people and he's wore out. And so then he, uh, verse one, th uh, I'm sorry, verse 35 goes off by himself to pray. But what I like is what happens next. Verse 36, um, they were searching for him. And when they found him, Simon and the others say, everyone's looking for you. Yeah. You got to read between the lines. He doesn't say no directly. Right. His response is, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. But what I infer is that he's telling them, no, I have more important things than to go back to that, which is crazy than healing people. But yes, he had a ministry. And so he prioritized his time. And part of it was making yep. time for God and then setting his priorities in order. Uh, so anyway, Absolutely. I just read Mark 1. So it's, it's like exploding <laughs> out of me. I'm sorry if I've stolen some of the thunder of, of, of the study. But no. Well, will you continue on this this big thought of making time for God? Yeah, absolutely. And I want to, if if I can follow you down that rabbit trail just for a second. <laughs> I oh, love the parallel account in Luke of that where he's preached in the synagogue and then people start coming to him at night. And then Dr. Luke, in his way, you know, he, we know that he healed multitudes. But if you look at the account in Luke, Luke says that he touched every one of them. And so you see that Jesus, and you know, I don't mention that this in this study, but you see that Jesus intentionally made time for everyone who came to see yeah. him there that day. He was yeah. worn out. So he's very focused on that. I I love that point. I love that, you know, 24 hours with with Jesus. I've preached on that before in the, the synagogue and Peter's mother-in-law's house, and then the morning after. I think it's so great to see a day in the life of Jesus like that. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Love, mm -hmm. love Mark 1. But back to the main thing, to make the main thing the main thing. 
Sure. So yeah, Jesus did, he did frequently break away from the disciples and the crowds to go spend time with his father. And, and, you know, I did cherry pick a couple of passages. I picked a couple of passages that showed this. You've mentioned that it is in Mark a couple of times. It's also in Luke, like Mark 1 and verse 35. You've read that in the morning. He rose up and he went to a desolate place and he, he prayed. In Luke 6 and verse 12, Luke reports him doing the same thing. He says, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And so I think what you can see, and there's other places in the scriptures uh, that we could we could notice this exact same this exact same habit of Jesus, or this exact same. Oh, there's a word that I'm looking for that I can't that you know doesn't come to my mind right now. But this sure. habit, this routine of Jesus uh, to go and separate himself and to pray uh, to God, and so he the the point is he sought fellowship with his father. He spent time in prayer. And the reason that I wanted to pick Mark 1 and verse 35 and Luke 6 and verse 12 is that one is morning, he did it in the morning, and then the other time he did it in the evening. Mm -hmm. So the point I just want to make there is and highlight that it doesn't matter if you're an early riser. It doesn't matter if you're a night owl. It just matters that you do it. And you know, I especially when I first started being a teacher at the congregation, this is something that I used to, I used to talk about a lot is, you know, and I still do, but, and I have heard it a lot, right? This is something that our teachers focus on quite a bit is separating ourselves and making time for the word and making time, time for prayer. And it's, we talk about it a lot because it's tremendously important. It's what, you know, behavioral scientists would call a keystone habit. One of those big Mm -hmm. uh, foundational Uh, habits in your life that will profoundly affect you. And it's one of the things that, one of the habits that all of the other, you know, principles that I talk about here in this study are really built upon and and they flow from this. And so, you know, you think about what happens when you make time for God, uh, when we make time for reading the word, when we make time for going to him in prayer, we're, we're learning about things and we're learning about God. We're learning about who he is. We're learning about what he's done for us. We're learning about his character. We're learning about his son, Jesus, and his habits, his way of life. We're learning about his sacrifice for us on the cross. We we learn about God's will for us, which allows us to grow, right? We want to grow in accordance with his word instead of uh, in accordance with the culture of the day. When we go to God in prayer, what are we doing? We're submitting to him. We're depending upon him. We're, we're that, putting into perspective the things that are really important in our life. We're going to him on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who are sick and those who are grieving and those that we we care about in this world. We know who are having a difficult time. We're, we're throwing that all upon his shoulders and really submitting to him and humbling ourselves before him and recognizing that he's the Lord and we're just here for a little while. Yeah. And so it really shows our devotion to the Lord. Yeah, you can say he's the Lord and I'm not. Right, exactly. Yeah, is, is another way of putting that yeah. because when when we don't make time for the Lord, and man, I feel it stinging as I say it because I can think about times when I've not done this. But uh, when we don't make time for the Lord, uh, what we're really saying with our actions is I'm the Lord of my life. 
I'm the one in control of my time. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, as we've we've said a couple times now, um, that's a promise that the pop culture and the the American dream and the devil is wanting to make to you, but it can't deliver on that promise. It's going to come up short. Now, um, I love that you want to, or that, that rather that you reference Isaiah 55 verse 11. Um, God's word will not return to him void. One of my favorite scriptures. Mm-hmm. What I'm really intrigued in this concept of, of forming a habit, uh, you know, making time for God and, and the consistent habit of doing such. You've got in parentheses, it looks like a, a story or something, golf ball habit. <laughs> Tell me about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that was a reference for me at the time that I wrote this. I think one of our, our brothers had just gotten done at the home congregation, giving, giving a, a lesson. And one of the, th- and I wanted to, you know, stick my point to their point, just, you know, a oh. call back to the previous lesson, but sure. also, also make a point. Right. And I, I've also, you know, S- Stephen Covey in his book, first things first has this, has this principle where, you know, he, He's talking about filling up a jar, right? You, you have this big, big jar and oh, you imagine that the jar right. is your life and right. you begin to fill it up and, and, you know, you have a pile of rocks, you have a pile of, of sand and gravel, you have a fi- pile of finer like dirt and whatnot and everything. And, you know, in order to fill up the glass, to fill up the jar, what do you have to do? Well, first you have to put in the big rocks, right? Mm. And then you can pour in the gravel because the gravel is going to get into the nooks and crannies around the big rocks. And then right. finally you pour in the sand and um, you shake it up a little bit and everything seems to fit in there, but you can't put the big rocks in after, after you put the sand in or after right. you put the gravel in, there's just no right. room. And so for the important things in life, we just, we got to start with the big things first. And that's right. really the point I was trying to get at with that. Well, you've you've helped me understand that if I'm wanting to redeem or buy back some of this time, then I'm going to make God a consistent part of my life. And I've said this many times on on this podcast and in my sermon as well. And maybe it's because I'm you know the more that I do therapy work, the more value I find in relational connection. But you can't have a relationship with somebody whom we, with whom you never communicate. And if you if you never interact with that person, you can't legitimately say, well, we're on we're as close as we've ever been. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't work mm-hmm. that way. You're going to have yeah. to. And so God has to be one of the to, to fit that uh, example. He has to be the big rock and he can't be the sand. He's got to be the big thing that goes in first. Um, but I guess moving if our listeners want to hear more ways to redeem the time than this simple concept of, of, of making sure that God is uh, the priority and that we're going to make time for him. You talk about uh, what seems like a very practical habit. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. What is what does our yeses and nos have to do with redeeming time? Absolutely. Yeah, well, there's that, there's that scene in Matthew 5 where we find Jesus giving the Sermon on the Mount. And towards the end of that chapter, he, he touches on the topic of, of oaths. And, you know, in, in Jesus's day, the religious leaders were accustomed to using oaths as maybe the subtle way of deceit. 
you know, it's kind of like they had their, their fingers crossed behind their back when they were saying something. Uh, the, oh, the value gotcha. of an oath was often tied to the value of the thing that they were sworn upon. So, right. you know, right. uh, they would swear upon different things. And depending on what they swore upon, the, the value of the oath would, would be binding to that degree. Well, you know, they taught that the vow was only binding when God was the thing that was sworn upon. And so if lesser things were sworn upon, well, then maybe that oath could be forgotten. It's not that big of a deal. And Jesus wanted to cut through that hypocrisy. And in verse 37 of Matthew 5, he says, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. And so he's telling the people of the day, you know, be done with all of this oath business. If you agree to do something, if you say yes to something, do it. And if you don't agree to do something, then don't do it. Your word is binding. You need to be honest. You need to honor your word. And right. so it's a, he's imploring us to be honest, but it's, an, it's also an invitation for us to spend our time intentionally, right? So Before, before you go down that that yep. thought of intentional time spending, I can't help but think of um, like a little kid who's who's trying to get their friend to do something, <laughs> and they'll say like "pinky promise." Oh you know, yeah, like, that's the real problem, <laughs> the pinky that's, promise, that's right? The real one. Or I I cross my heart and hope to die. Oh yeah, another one. And um, mm -hmm. but then there was always the the. What if they have their fingers crossed behind oh, their back? And absolutely. if they do, then, then you get out of it. It doesn't count. Right. And these are childish uh, actions. No adult would um, put their hand behind their back and cross it and think that that would count in a court of law. But I think what the kid, these kid or childlike actions show us is the mindset that the Pharisees had. They, they were literally... Uh, taking their word and decreasing its value by right. attaching it to certain pledges that just weren't meaningful. And mm -hmm. what what I'm taking from what you're saying is that the yes and the no, um, it helps us redeem the time because we're going to spend less time <laughs> convincing people that what we're saying is right or good because they're going to have known us as people who speak honest truth, right? So like we can simply tell people something and they believe us instead of us mm -hmm. having to spend a lot of time uh, trying to coerce them or swearing or promising before they agree to it. So I like this idea of, of our honesty redeems the time. Um, but you're, you're making this point, sorry, I cruelly interrupted you about <laughs> uh, intentionality and how the yes and no of our speech is a way to be intentional. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so if if our yeses are really yeses and our noes are really noes, then we need to act like that's the case when we're going about our daily lives. And someone comes up to us with an opportunity and says, hey, do you want to do X or do you want to do Y or do you want to do Z? You know, whatever it may be. If we say yes, we need to follow through on that. And if we say no, we don't need to follow through on that. We need to honor the word that we say. So it, it's an invitation for us to, be, to, to really consider the impact that, that our yeses and our noes have in our lives. And it's an invitation that helps us to, to redeem the time. If you look at Jesus's example 
And you can see that's exactly what he did. The way that he spent his time, the things that he said yes to were the things that were going to help him carry out his mission, right? So Jesus is the Messiah. He had a message to preach. He had a people that he had to preach it to. And he kept that objective in mind as he went about his day. We often see him going into synagogues. You know, Mark 1, uh, we were just talking about that. Uh, He went to synagogues to preach. Uh, He did it in Capernaum there. In Luke 4, he went to Nazareth. He went into the synagogue. He preached. So we see him doing that, and then we see him moving on. Uh, For example, you know, one of the scriptures that I've got in the study for this is Matthew 4. In verse 23, and the Bible says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And again, you look at Matthew 9, verse 35, same gospel writer, a little bit later. Listen to the cadence and listen to the words he says here. It's virtually the same thing. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease Mm. among the people. And so you start looking at these things, and you can pick up on the rhythm of Jesus's life. We have all of these wonderful individual stories, and those things really happen to Jesus, but they're part of a larger rhythm that he lived and a part of a larger ministry that he preached. And so I think Matthew establishes that right here. We see that Jesus was consistent. He had a very clear mission and that he set about it with a purpose. What did he do? He, you know, went about the cities and villages. He preached in the synagogue and he healed those who had diseases and various sicknesses. So he defined his agenda and what he said yes to. And then he lived that out. And he did that in accordance with what his aim and what his goal was. I am, I am whacking myself in the forehead because I as I look on your notes, I realize I've spoiled a point because I previously talked about Mark 1, oh, about setting great, boundaries. That's ah, a great here, verse. Here you've got it in in the study to make that very point. So I did steal your thunder. And man, now I'm kicking myself that ah, I didn't no let you make it in uh, the context of what you were trying to say. But yeah, I'm, I'm what I'm seeing here is there. Jesus had a mission, so he would, his yes would be mm-hmm. yes. He was consistent. Then there were also times when his no was a no because he had a mission. He had to keep going on that mission. Um, But Mark 1 certainly isn't the only time that Jesus said no because of his mission. There there are other scriptures, and I'd love to give you the chance to uh, let our listeners know about some of those. Because I think sometimes people think about Jesus only as like the wish machine or the answer man who just... uh, gave everybody what they wanted and told everybody mm-hmm. what, what they wanted to hear. But there were times when Jesus had very hard teaching and he yeah. told people things they didn't want to hear, such as John 12. Why don't you tell us about that? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and just to, to set that up a little more, right. You know, th- this, this point of the sermon right here for me was profoundly impactful to recognize that yes, Jesus did say no. As you said, a lot of people think of him like the wish machine and that he just went along and did everything anybody asked him to do. But just because Jesus could do something doesn't necessarily mean that he should do it. 
while he was here. Again, he's living within the confines of those times. And, and yeah, in John 12 and verse 20 and through 23, uh, the Bible says, Now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. And then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. But Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. And so this is another one of those texts that we were talking about in Mark before, where you kind of have to read between the lines. Jesus didn't outright say, No, I'm not meeting with those men. <laughs> he instead said, I have other work to do. You know, he was at the feast of the Passover. He had been doing a lot of preaching. There were Greek proselytes that had come into the city and they wanted to meet him. And he declined that meeting because the hour had come for him to finish his work. He says, the son of man should be glorified. You know, he's talking about going to the cross. Of course, he'd be raised up after that. But he had a very trying and wearying road that he was about to have to walk. He was preparing himself for that. And so as nice as it may have been, he couldn't meet with these guys. Right. He had also made his mission clear earlier, right? Jesus said that he had come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so not only was it not a good time in you know, the perspective of his entire mission, when you look at what he was about to go do in completing that, but just for the ministry, the Gentile ministry was going to come later. Christ was right. coming to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so, uh, you know, he, he said no to these guys because he had the, long, the larger mission in mind. I think this is a good point where we can break the conversation in half and leave you hanging. If you are enjoying this conversation on redeeming the time, then I highly encourage you to come back next week and listen to the second half of it with Brother Jeremy and I as we go through the scripture in Ephesians chapter 5. Very thankful for him, for the organization of his thoughts, and now for the chance to just talk about it. And hopefully, dear listener, the chance for you to listen is uh, enjoyable, helpful, encouraging, and hopefully drawing you nearer to the heart of God. Now, until next week, I have that checklist of things I'd love for you to do. Um, number one, I'd love for you to pray for this podcast. Pray for the work that I do personally uh, here at pureandsimplebible.com and just that the Lord will help me stay motivated and kind of organized in my mind because there's so much going on behind the scenes that sometimes it's easy for me to get distracted and or um, overwhelmed with it. So pray for me, please. And I'm so thankful for those. Uh, I have just started talking about this in the past few episodes. I'm thankful for those who are supporting me on Patreon. If you, dear friend, would like to join those who are encouraging me, then look at the show notes, and what you should find is a link to patreon.com backslash pure and simple Bible. And right now I have two levels of encouraging uh, that you could give. And so I'd love to have you join the team in that regard. And thank you for those who have. I'm so grateful for your support. You can always go to the website. And I feel like I say this every time, but I do it because I still get phone calls and emails and texts from people that are going, hey, how do I find this stuff? So I just want to remind you, go to the website, www.pureandsimplebible.com, where you 
can find everything that's downloadable as a PDF or as a YouTube video or as the podcast MP3. It's all downloadable for free. And if you want to purchase workbooks and other things, then that stuff's available on the website as well. So let's end our time today with the same admonition that I try to give you every week. I want you to remember God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you.